All right, we're going to take our Bible and look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Look at the book of Acts, chapter number 8. Several days ago, I felt the, uh, felt the Lord was kind of, when I knew I'd, I would be filling in for Pastor Stewart, I felt the Lord kind of impressing me on this uh, subject uh, based on some notes I had written. And, um, and uh, there was no coordination between myself and Brother Brown, but it's, uh, you'll notice he was in Acts chapter 10 this morning, and I'm in Acts chapter 8, and uh, the, the messages are very similar. Uh, they're definitely different, but they're very similar. And like I said, there was no coordination. But hopefully the Lord, uh, for sure the Lord has a message for us, uh, for all of us, including myself. I want to look at the story of the, uh, the account of the uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Starting in Acts chapter 8, and uh, reading, we'll begin readings uh, around verse number 26 of Acts chapter 8. Let's pray, and then we'll read uh, this portion of Scripture together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, thank you for those that are uh, like Brother Brown and those that, um, that he's ministering to and that he's ministering with or trying to reach people with the gospel. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray as we look at your word tonight that you would, uh, you would give your spirit to move among us, to teach us, to guide us, uh, in the, especially in the way we hear the Word of God. Help us to listen with, uh, with desire, Lord, and, and to listen hungrily, expecting to hear from You. Lord, we can't do anything without You. We certainly can't study Your Word and profit from it unless, unless You teach us, Lord. And I certainly can't help Your people unless You help me. So, Lord, would You please do that? In Jesus' name, amen. We'll start reading in Acts chapter 8, verse number 26. Of course, we, we know that Philip has been in uh, the, the region of Samaria, which is north of Judea, and he's, uh, he's an evangelist. The Bible calls him an evangelist, which biblically speaking, is a per, an evangelist is a person who shares the gospel, a gospel preacher. Uh, not like a revivalist, like we would we call it evangelist today, a revivalist. But in its true sense, the word means he was known. His gift was telling people about Jesus Christ, kind of like Oliver Green was. He was known for uh, for telling people about Jesus, and that's what Philip was. And he had been in Samaria preaching the gospel. And uh, at the end of that revival, or end of that preaching time there, the Bible says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to, to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot read Esaias, that's Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? 
And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and, as, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Philip, as I said, was an evangelist. And uh, this is a, a very kind of a unique uh, uh, thing that we read here in the book of Acts. And God specifically uh, called Philip to go down to uh, the land of Gaza. Of course, we know where Gaza is, and if you know anything about the Middle East, you know Gaza is that little strip of the land. It used to be called the land of the Philistines. It's that little strip of land right before you get down to the Sinai Peninsula. Between the Sinai Peninsula and Israel, it's that little strip of land. It's not very big. But this man was traveling back from Jerusalem... This uh, eunuch, which was, you know, a eunuch is not something we uh, know or talk about very often, but usually, well, anyhow, it's uh, a special servant, and uh, other cultures have had them as well, not just in the Bible culture. But they were special servants. Their life was dedicated to the service of the monarch, in this case, the queen. And he's traveling from Jerusalem, so it's naturally that he's going to go on a road that's by the, sea, the, the Mediterranean Sea down into Egypt, and then from there probably to the Nile, where nearby would be a road, and he's going to head south to Ethiopia, which is where he's from. And God specifically called Philip to leave where he was and to go down to a desert place that is an empty and uninhabited place and in order to witness to this man. Now, what we see here is that, number one, we see that God was watching this man, this, this Ethiopian. God's eye was on one person, one person. Now, there was probably an entourage if this person had a great, a great deal of power. The Bible doesn't say that. But it seems very unlikely that you'd be traveling such a long distance as an official by yourself. You know, there was probably an entourage, but that, that's okay. What God was looking at is this one man. And God was interested in this one man. And here's the thing. God was seeking out this one man. God was seeking out. God was actively and personally seeking out this man. And that's why God sent Philip to this man. You see, God seeks God seeks men as we think about evangelism. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. As God seeks out men, you know, we know the Bible says 
In, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save. We know the save part. We're a little bit more familiar with that. But the word seek, it means God is looking for them. God is chasing them. God wants to save them. All right? So God is seeking to save that which is lost. John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus says, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father and in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That means God is looking for people. Lost people, unbelieving people. Now we know the scripture says, Romans chapter 3, the scripture says that no man seeketh after God. It is not in man to have a natural desire after God. And you might think, you might look at yourself and you might think, well, you know, I, I've, I've loved God ever since. You know, I, I know people personally. I'm speaking to myself now. I know people personally that would say that. I've always loved Jesus. No, you haven't. If God is true, and that's not true. If there any desire that we have toward God is not a natural desire that comes out of our heart, it is a direct result of God first seeking us because it is not in us to seek God. Romans chapter 3 says that plainly. We are, listen, we are wicked and depraved people. God has to seek us. And that's what he's doing with this man. But how does God seek this eunuch, this lone individual that God obviously loves. How does God seek him? Here's how. Here's the method. By sending an evangelist, by sending a preacher, by sending a Christian. That's how God sought this man. God could have just as well let him go on his merry way. And you know what? We read this. Imagine this story would have continued. He has his Bible. He's reading his Bible in his chariot. Philip never shows up. He goes down to Ethiopia, completely ignorant of the gospel, despite the fact that he has a Bible. If God had not sought him, but God sought him. Right now, God is seeking. God is seeking sinners. You know that? And the way he seeks sinners, one of the ways, is by our witness. Let me, let me add to that. One of the ways he seeks sinners is by our church. Right? Which, remember, the church is not this. What is the church? Pastor Sue said, the church is a people built by God, right? The church is people. God seeks sinners by you and by me. That's how God is seeking people. And we know that God's sole purpose in seeking this man, I'm sorry, the, the God's sole purpose in seeking Philip was to seek this man. How do we know that? Because as soon as Philip finishes baptizing this man, as far as we know, Philip is miraculously, miraculously taken away from this instance. In other words, that was his whole purpose. God did all of that work for one man because he wanted to save one man. Don't you love how God's eye is on the individual? You know, it's, of course, it's on the big picture. As like you think Choice Hills Baptist Church, God is, God's eye is on Choice Hills Baptist Church on all of us. But individually, his eye is on each one of us too. But his eye is also on the people that don't know him, even though their eye is not on them. Isn't that a wonderful 
Some, to some people that don't know God, that makes them uncomfortable, right? It, it should. Because we know God's eye of judgment can be on them, but there's also God's eye of compassion. And God is seeking sinners. Second thing I want you to see is that Philip was at God's disposable. Disposal, not disposable. Philip was at God's disposal. What do I mean by that? Gaza, Gaza was about, Philip was in Jerusalem according to verse 25. And Philip left Jerusalem to go down to Gaza. And Gaza's a strip of land, kind of a long, narrow strip of land. So it was anywhere, as the crow flies, anywhere from 50 to 60 miles from Jerusalem. Now, he was traveling on a road, a windy road, no doubt, through the mountains and such, because Jerusalem is, is kind of in a higher elevation. So he could have traveled, I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 80 miles, depending on how the road was. Philip went out of his way, and he was willing to do that. And, and we know in retrospect why Philip was doing that because God told him to. And we know that God had a plan to, to save this Ethiopian eunuch. But Philip didn't know that. He was just obeying the Lord. But he did know he was an evangelist. And that's his main, you know, his main, uh, the main gift that he had. And so he left and he went there. But here's the thing. God knew that Philip was a man who when prompted would obey. And that's what Brother Brown mentioned this morning. Listen, if we, if, if you, if I are going to be effective witnesses, we are going to have to be at God's disposal. Amen. We are going to have to, to, to set time aside to intentionally go share the gospel with people. It will not happen by accident. You know, there are those times in which we share the gospel with people, you know, while we're doing our thing living our life, paying our bills, whatever, getting our gas, whatever we're doing, and that's one thing. But there's also the idea of intentionally going out for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with other people. We call it the ministry of evangelism of our church. And it's a biblical ministry. I just want to ask you this. When is the last time that you have, I'm talking, I know, you say, well, COVID's been, yeah, but before that, that you have, you have made a decision that you are going to intentionally involve yourself in that ministry of evangelism. That you're, you're saying, no, God, I'm at your disposal. And the thing is, Philip, to travel this many miles, I mean, he figured he was going to go there and come back. Now, God gave, put him on the express, express train to come back. But as far as going out there, it took a great deal of time and expense for him to do it. But he was at God's disposal. And if we are going to be witnesses... If we're going to intentionally witness to people, yeah, there's going to be some sacrifice of time and effort and energy. That, that it's, going to be, it's going to be required. You know what? If our church has evangelism, you know, Pastor Stewart, he's mentioned it. We want to get this started, started back up because this is a biblical ministry of the church. This is one of the main reasons that we are here is to tell people about Jesus. And if we're going to do that, it's going to require some time and effort. And we're going to have to make some sacrifices. We're going to have to put ourselves at God's disposal to do that. Now, if you read down here in verse, we see that uh, this eunuch, whose name is not given, he was in his chariot. He was reading the Bible. He was reading the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. 
And Philip said, Go join thyself to the chariot. Verse 30. Philip ran thither and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? Now listen. This man does not know God. Now he is a religious man. But he is not saved. He is not a believer. He is not a child of God. He does not have the Spirit of God. Okay? As he's reading the Bible, he does not understand it. And he says so. He says, how can I understand it without somebody to guide me? So the Word of God that he was reading, that he had in his hand. Remember, at this time, there were no books like we have today. There was no printing presses. This was a scroll, probably acquired at great expense, probably written on either parchment or some sort of vellum, which is like an animal skin, copied by hand. It's very expensive. But he, obviously a wealthy man, he purchased it apparently or received it in some other way. He's, he holds it. He's reading it. He has the very Word of God in a time when that wasn't readily available like it is today. And he's reading it, but the Word of God has limited benefit to him. Right? He's reading it, but he doesn't understand it. And even though he was reading one of the clearest passages of Scripture about Jesus Christ, and even though he was reading about the, the, the mo one of the most important events in history about Jesus Christ and his mission, he did not understand. <laughs> we read Isaiah chapter 53, which is where he's reading. It's the great chapter of the suffering Savior, right? He's reading this, and there's limited benefit because he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Had God not sent Philip, he would have missed the gospel. That's the thing. Even though he was reading the clearest portion of Scripture available. Now, let that sink in. He would have missed it. Was this man dumb? No. This was probably an educated man. He was a man of authority, a man of responsibility. The issue is not intelligence. But it's a fact. Did you know that people that do not know God, that the Word of God has limited benefit to them? Let me explain to you what I mean as we go on. You see, the, and this is the next thing I want you to see. It has limited benefit to, to, to the eunuch and has limited benefit to those that do not know God because... The Word of God is primar was primarily given to God's people. And so, as a book that God intended to be given to God's people, to those that do not know God, the Word of God is obscure and confusing, as Mrs. Brown testified on the video. She said, I knew about Jesus, that He died on the cross and rose again, but I didn't understand what that meant. It was like this man's reading, it's like she's reading Isaiah chapter 53 and has no idea what it's talking about. You're reading the gospel and it's just, it's just going right over your head. This is, listen, this is the lot of people that do not know God. This is the way it works. It really is this way. Look, hold your place here and look at Matthew chapter 14 real quick. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 14. The story of the feeding of the 5,000, it also occurs in the feeding of the 4,000, shortly after the feeding of the 5,000. But in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19, the Lord gets the five loaves and two fish. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 18. He said, bring them hither to me, the loaves and fish. And in verse 19, notice, notice it carefully. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to whom? To the disciples. And the disciples to the multitude. And this is repeated in, chapter, in, in the next chapter uh, with the feeding of the, of the 4,000. Jesus did not give the loaves to the people directly. He gave the loaves to the disciples, and then the disciples in turn took those and gave them to the people. And that is the principle that I'm referring to here. The principle is that God has given His Word to His people. And God has given us, His people, His Word, and then also the capacity and the ability to understand the Scripture. And then we take it, and then we give it to other people. Because if you hand often, if you hand a Bible to someone that does not know God, they read it, and even though they might, be, they might have a, a bachelor's degree in English, English grammar, the issue is not grammar. The issue is deeper than that. You see, a person that does not know God, and that does not have the Holy Spirit of God, is what the Scripture describes as a natural man. Amen. Hold your place here, if you would, and look real quickly at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So what is, it, what is it that obstructs a person's understanding of the Scripture? It is because he is a natural man. And as such, he does not have the capacity to receive the things of God unguided. Now, what are you, what are you talking about? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse number 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The reason why God's people, that's you, read the Bible and understand it, and it jumps out at you, and God speaks to you through it, and you understand it, is because you have the Spirit of God. Now, you take the Spirit of God away, the Bible becomes a dead book. The reason you understand the Scripture is because you know the author, and he is in you. But absent that, it becomes an obscure book. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Notice who the teacher is, the Holy Spirit. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But, verse 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, 
Because they are spiritually discerned. Why did this eunuch read the, the, one of the most important passages of the Scripture and not get it? Because he did not know God. He needed a guide. He needed a guide. A natural man, that, that natural uh, 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 condition of a man causes them, for, causes the Word of God to be obscure to them. It's right in front of them, but they can't see it. Many, many people before they know the Lord and then get saved later testify to that fact. I'd been to church all these years. I'd heard this and heard that, and I just didn't get it. How many people have said that? Many of you are, are actually shaking your head, or shaking your, nodding your head right now. I heard it, I heard it, I heard it, and I didn't get it, even though it was right in front of me. But there's other reasons that people that do not know God have a difficulty with this is because often the truths of God cut right across what an unconverted person wants. And so it's difficult for them to receive because it's not, it's not what they're looking for at all. Nothing in them wants plain truth. So they don't get it. It can't be that. And besides that, often people, especially in religious circles, Unconverted, lost, unbelieving religious circles. They come up with their own versions of truth, which are actually error. And they substitute the truth for error. And they say it's coming from the Bible. That's why you should be so careful when someone says, Oh, this preacher's great. He preaches straight out of the Bible. That doesn't mean anything. Because people, the devil, people, preachers have corrupted the Bible from since the beginning of time. And again, this has nothing to do with this man's intelligence. It has to do with the heart. Now going back to Acts verse chapter 8, he says in verse 31, How can I understand, how can I accept some man should guide me? How can I accept some man should guide me? Now, I said before that, the Holy, uh, that, that God has given His Word primarily to His people. He gave His Word to prophets, right? The, the Gospels are written to Christians. The Epistles written to Christians. You know, you think the book of Revelation written to John. I mean, that, that's generally God's... I know there are exceptions, but speaking generally, God has addressed and intended His Word for His people because with His Word, He's going to give, He gives us the capacity to understand it with His Spirit. But for them, they, read the, they hold the Bible just like this eunuch. They read it and they do not understand it because they do not have God in them. You say, well, what's the purpose? See, we have in our mind that the Bible was given to everybody. And if, you, if someone just has a Bible and reads it, then they'll get saved. But that's not what happened with the eunuch. And that doesn't happen a lot of times. That, 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 that is just generally untrue, if you think about it. They need a guide. And this man said... How can I understand it except some man should guide me? I need a guide. 
I need somebody to take the truth that's there that I don't get for some reason and tell me what it says. So God gives the bread to us and then we give it to them. That's the principle. Hold your place here once again in, John, in Acts 8. Look at John chapter 16. Talking about being a guide. Look at this. John 16. In John 16, the Lord is talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. John 16, verse 13. What does it say? Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will, what? Look at that word. It's the same word. He, the Spirit of God, will guide you, God's people, talking to the disciples, will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So in this verse, what it tells us is, because we have the Spirit of God, we have a guide who teaches us the truth from his word. The world has no such guide. We are the guide. They do not have the guide that we have. And so therefore we are the guide. And this eunuch said, how can I understand except some man should guide me? He wants a guide. He wants somebody to take the truths of the Word of God that seem so difficult and obscure. We read the same truths, we read the same passage, and we're like... It's so easy. And they read the same thing and like, I just don't get it. It's because it's spiritual. It's not intelligence. It's spiritual. And it's easy for you because God's been teaching you. But it's hard for them because they don't have a guide. The only way that people that do not know God will understand the truth is if we tell them that's our function. And that's what this eunuch is asking for. At the gym up here, I go to this gym. I try to go uh, to the gym several times a week, and sometimes I succeed and sometimes I don't. But there's a, an old Marine, Vietnam veteran, that uh, his name is Brawley Lovelace. He's a black guy. He's got an interesting name. He's an old Marine, and he works out five days a week there. And so I got in a conversation with him, and his brother, now, now listen, his brother is a preacher. This, man's, this man is a, you know, if you asked him, he would say he's a Christian, okay? But Mr. Lovelace, uh, when, when I had a chance to talk to him, and I, I, I got a uh, verse of Scripture in my mind I wanted to share with him, and I, I, took him to the, I gave him the verse of Scripture, showed it to him on, on my phone, and I talked to him a little bit, and I said, hey, I'm going to have a verse next time I see you. I'm going I'm to have another verse. Is that okay? He said, yeah, yeah, that's good, good, yeah. He's, but he added this. He said, but make sure when you share it with me, you, you explain to me what it means. Listen, we have to do that. It's not enough to just throw things at people. 
It's going to take some commitment, some time. He knows somehow this man is aware that the Bible is a little bit obscure to him. And he needs somebody to guide him. He didn't say the exact words, but the, but the core was, was the same. So the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand? I'm reading the gospel. I'm reading the clearest passage of scripture and I'm not getting it. I don't understand. How can I understand? I need a guide. Here's what I want you to take away from that. And this is really the core of what I wanted to say. When you tell other people about Jesus, we need to remember that people understand less than we think they do. When you're talking to someone about Jesus, you need to remember that people understand less than you think they do. Nobody wants to look ignorant. And so they nod. They've heard the words you're saying before. And so they kind of nod as if they understand. But they understand less than what you think they do. So I want to tell you this. It is a dangerous blunder to assume people understand what we are saying when we share the gospel with them. It is dangerous to assume they understand. This eunuch was an intelligent man, a religious man. He read Hebrew. He was from Ethiopia. He's reading the Word of God written in Hebrew. He had traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles from his home, from his home in Ethiopia to go to Jerusalem. He was not dumb. He was well informed. Even he said, I don't understand. See, to us, as I said, the gospel is plain, but to them it's obscure. We cannot forget that. We cannot assume that they know what we're talking about. And if you're, ever curious to, if you're ever curious to know what people think the gospel is or how to be saved or what it means to be saved, if you're ever curious what people, to, to know what people really think about that, so ask them. Amen. Don't just take, listen, don't just accept the lingo when, you tell, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. Don't just accept because they use words that are familiar to you. Don't, don't just accept that. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm saved. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to be saved? What is the gospel? If you ask a Mormon, you know what they say? Almost every time, because it's a part of their rote curriculum. The gospel is the teachings of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. No, it's not. I was talking to a man yesterday that I ha- we happened upon, happened upon when we were doing, uh, passing out the flyers for the VBS. This man's name was Anthony. Been through a lot of difficult things. Lost his daughter, 16-year-old daughter, to leukemia three years ago. In the process of conversation, me asking questions, Anna was with me. Actually, you came up later after we were talking. But in the process of the conversation, 
We were talking about salvation and what it meant to him. And I was just asking him. And in that process, he told me, well, you know, I've been baptized. Listen, I know, I know a preacher, this particular preacher that I know, that I have, I have a lot of respect for, and I trust his tenure as a preacher because he's been in the ministry a lot longer than I have. And I, but I, what, what he says I think is right. He says something like 80 or 90% of the people that you talk to on average think that being saved means baptism. You know what? I, I think that's true. In Greenville, members of Baptist churches, a huge portion of them think that that water up there somehow takes their sin away or plays some part in it. And that's, in their mind, associated with the word saved, which is biblical, right? It's a biblical word. We cannot forget that people do not understand as much as we think they do. I'm not saying people are stupid. We're not talking about intelligence here. Did Philip assume that the Ethiopian man understood the Scripture? No. What did he do? He asked him, do you understand? Let, let the man explain what he thinks it says. Give people a chance to, to, to demonstrate whether they understand. And if someone can demonstrate it correctly and they seem to have a clear grasp and they can articulate that, then great. But most of the time, that's not the case. Here's the issue. If we throw around Christian terminology and we don't ever explain it when we're witnessing to people, what we're actually doing is it's so bad. We're actually affirming false understandings. We throw around like, for instance, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw rocks at, at, at the way we do things. I'm just trying to, 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 to help us keep in mind things that, that will help us in our witness. We throw, away, throw around terms like, are you saved? Do you have eternal life? We throw terms around like that and people answer us with one word answers. We don't explain what we mean. We don't ask them to explain what they mean. They give us an answer, and we think that's good. But what happens is somebody, you say, are you saved? Yeah, they say, yes. And in their mind, they're thinking that. And we say, oh, okay, you know what we've done? We have actually affirmed an eternally fatal error because we did not take the time to stop and explain it. Many, many people think of wheat and tares have completely erroneous views of the central truths of the gospel. The central truths. And we don't press them on what they mean. We don't ask them what they mean. We don't want to cast doubt on them because that would be awkward or insulting. We're just trying, sometimes we're just trying to wrap up the conversation because, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable, you know. You, all of you should know what I'm talking about. You get in some of these things, somebody says, oh, I'm saved. And you say, what do you mean by that? And you know there's a chance they're going to be upset that you're questioning them. But you have to. We have to. Amen. We can't just accept it. It's our job to guide. 
We just want to wrap the conversation up as fast as possible because it's weird. It's uncomfortable. So when you share the gospel, do not assume that people know what it, that people know what it means to be saved. Do not assume they know what the gospel is. Do not assume they know why Jesus died on the cross. Don't assume that they know what the term Jesus died for us means. Don't assume they know how Christ, how the finished work of Christ relates to them. Don't assume they know what faith is. Don't assume that they know what it means to be a sinner. You can't assume. Because we already know that the Scripture is obscure. And what it says is often a mystery to people. And we are here to guide them. God gives the word to us to give to them. To speak to them in a way that, that makes sense to them. To make them understand. So don't assume, guide them. I'll give you another example from uh, Mr. Lovelace down at the gym. So we were talking about the gospel. I shared the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I think it is. I'll get the, I, I'm terrible at references, I'm sorry, but it's the verse that says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so I was sharing that verse with him. And... I, I mentioned how that Jesus died on the cross for us. And his response was very telling. You know, he was a Vietnam veteran. And, of course, many people that are in active combat see a lot of things. And they see their buddies and their fellow Marines and soldiers, you know, put their life on the line for one another. You know, they see that kind of thing. And his response led me to believe that he thought when G the Bible said Jesus died for us, that he thought in essence that Jesus had done, it was just, man, he just did a good thing for us. You know, like, you know, he bought a Coke for me. He was just, you know, he's just, just really nice. It was just a gesture of, of niceness. Listen, that is not... The gospel. Amen. Jesus did not die on the cross simply to, to just show something good, to show that he liked us. Oh, of course, we know the love of God. All, that was the motive behind it. But when the Bible says Christ died for us, he was our substitute. Amen. He was bearing our sins. He was getting our punishment. That's what we have to tell people. Because they throw around these terms and they say these things. They have no idea what they're talking about. And I don't mean that insulting. But they don't know. We have to guide them. We have to say, well, what does it mean that Jesus died for us? What does it mean that he died for us? And I've asked people that. You know what the most often, the most common answer I get? I don't know. One of the most common phrases in Christianity. And they don't even get it. They don't know why. And pretty much everybody that goes to any kind of church would say, oh, yeah, I believe, just like Mr. Brown said, oh, I believe Jesus died for me. And have, they have no idea 
in any way whatsoever how that relates to them at all. Jesus was a nice guy. No. No. (laughs) No. It was not just that. But it is, the onus is on us to explain it. We should take the time and explain it. I'm hurrying to the end. In Acts chapter 8, verse 34, the Bible says, And the eunuch answered and said, again, verse 32, he's reading. Verse 33, he's reading the Old Testament Scriptures. You get down to verse 34, and the eunuch answered and said, Philip, I pray thee. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? You know what Philip didn't do? He didn't take out his cell phone and look up the verse and try to figure out the context. You know why? Well, because he didn't have a cell phone. But he already knew the verses. He knew the scripture. Do you know the Bible enough? Listen, you and I should be experts in every, and I'm I'm not saying this saying I am, but we should be experts in every pertinent scripture that a person that doesn't know the Lord might ask about. Every one of them. They bring it up, we ought to know it. We ought to know the context, we ought to know the meaning. Because most, most people are not asking, you know, what does the verse, the, you know, the obscure verse in the Minor Prophets says, God came from Teman. Somebody asked me that one time. They memorized the got you verse, you know, where did God come from? And you, you should go into this big theological treatise and they're just like, God came from Teman, ha ha, and they walk away. Most of the time, if people have a verse their question about it's going to be something relatively elementary. We ought to be experts. We ought to know. He knew exactly what, what this man was reading, and he knew exactly what it meant, and he knew the answer to the question. Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some, some other man? And he says, let me just tell you about the man it's talking about. He knew it. He was capable. He could capably answer the questions the eunuch proposed. He was prepared. He was a man of the word. And that if, if we're going to be effective witnesses, we have to be able to do that. Amen. But you know what that assumes? That assumes that our witnessing goes beyond just the, the most elemental things of, you know, making a nice comment about our church to someone. That's not witnessing. It assumes that we're actually having a conversation about spiritual things with people. And I know that's not hard. Uh, that's, not, that's not easy. It's hard. For me, that's one of the most difficult things. I was a missionary. I mean, is there anything else a missionary is supposed to do? <laughs> and the last thing I want you to see is this. Verse 35, I love this verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, what? Jesus. Now, if you look at verse 5, it says this, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached, what? Christ unto them. Verse 12, what does it say? 
But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Seems like in Acts chapter 8, Philip has, a, has developed quite a reputation for the content of his preaching. Philip wasn't preaching about salvation. He was preaching about Jesus. We're talking about our witness, right? Now, I want everyone to listen to me carefully. We're almost finished. It's in the text. He didn't ask the man, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? If you died right now, he didn't ask him that. I'm not saying that's bad, but hear me out. We must be careful that we do not substitute preaching salvation instead of Jesus Christ. There is a difference, though subtle. It is possible for us to talk about salvation without talking about Jesus. Is it not? It is possible to talk about salvation without talking about Jesus. And we do it by saying, are you going to heaven? Are you saved? And again, I'm not throwing stones and saying that's all bad, but just hear me out. Are you going to heaven? Are you saved? If you died right now, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Do you have eternal life? These are common things we like to say. I say them sometimes. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? We're talking about salvation, but we're not really talking about Jesus. Because when Philip preached, he started at that scripture, and what did he talk about? He preached what? Jesus. He took Isaiah chapter 53, and he talked about how Jesus came into the world, and he was a sinless man. He was God, and he was man. He was a son of God. He did miracles. And then when the time came, he went to a cross, and he died for sinners, all sinners. And then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day. That's what Philip is talking about. That's his message. Here's the thing. You can talk about salvation without talking about Jesus, but you cannot talk about Jesus without talking about salvation. And if if in our witness, we're talking about everything around Jesus, but we're not talking about Him, then we've missed the mark. Because salvation is in Christ. And And I know we all think We live in Greenville of all places. Well, most of us do. We live in Greenville of all places. We assume everybody knows all about Jesus, and they don't know. They don't. If there's one thing I've learned coming back from the mission field where everybody is totally ignorant, I come, because I assume that. I'm telling you right now, me, me, myself, Adam Wood, before I went to Cambodia, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. I assumed everybody knew. But somehow, going over there and then returning back here, I came back and one of the things that I started to understand when I was witnessing to people, because I think what I started to do is I started taking some of the things I was saying in Cambodia because I assumed they were ignorant and they didn't know. They had never heard 
Jesus died for, for, for us. They didn't know what that meant. I had to tell them. So I come back here, and those practices kind of linger, and I start doing it and talking to people in the same way. You know what I realize? They don't know. <laughs> they know the words, but they don't know what it means. They don't know why Jesus died. Of course, Jesus died for our sins, but it's just a rote repetition. They don't know why it's significant. They don't know that that, has, that is the crux. That is the fulcrum upon which our salvation depends. They think, oh, Jesus was really nice. Now I've got to get baptized and do good works till the day I die. And then maybe God will let me into heaven. And that's not what it's about. Jesus died for you. Amen. He took your place. But see, people don't know that. And we can't assume they do. Philip did not assume this man knew, even though he's reading the Bible. Do you understand? No. That's what we should assume. If you try to just be patient with people and ask them questions and not assume they know anything and do it kindly, of course, not insulting or condescending, but if, you, if you're kind to people and you say, let me explain to you what I mean. When Jesus died for us, this is what that means. He took your place. You should die in your sin, but he Paid the penalty. That's, that's so simple. I know all of you are like, that is so simple. Of course, I've known that a long time. Exactly. But those people out there that need the Lord don't know this. They know the words, but they don't know how it relates to them at all. They have no idea. I'm telling you, they don't. When we talk about salvation without talking about Jesus, we are excluding the central truth about salvation, which is Jesus Christ himself. And we do that because we assume the person already knows about Jesus. And when we do that, our witness ceases to be about Jesus. It becomes more about religion or maybe a religious experience. When did you get saved? That's a fine question to ask. Are you saved? Do you have eternal life? These are all fine questions to ask as a part of a larger conversation. But if I were to ask Miss Karen, she was a stranger, and I were to say, when did you get saved? I'm assuming that she knows what in the world I'm talking about. And I've asked people, you probably have too, when did you get saved? And they say, oh, well, I got baptized. That's the way they answer. That's what, you know why? Because they have no idea what they're talking about. But we assume that they do and say, oh, you got saved in May of 1990? Oh, okay. And it's just like this eunuch kept going to Ethiopia and never met Philip. They just go on their merry way and are no better for it. The gospel is about Jesus. Amen. If you don't get, listen, you might not get the chance to tell anybody. You might not get the chance to ask them or press whether they're saved, whether they're sure. Do they have eternal life? Are they going to heaven? You might not get that chance if you have a brief time with people. And again, those aren't evil things to say. 
But if you only get one thing to tell people, tell them about what Jesus did for them. Amen. Tell them what Jesus did. Well, they've heard that. Tell them again Amen. and explain it more fully, more clearly, in another way. Use an example. Bring a verse. Do whatever you got to do. Make sure that when they, they walk away from that conversation, they have no doubt that Jesus died in the place of sinners and was buried and rose again. To preach the gospel, to evangelize, to share the gospel is telling people about Jesus. Not talking around Jesus, but talking about Jesus. Now I close with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I just want to read these verses because they reiterate what I said. Paul speaking to the Corinthians, recalling his manner of ministry when he first arrived in Corinth. Here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 23. He says, But we preach Christ crucified. When Paul went to Corinth as a missionary to begin the work of evangelization, what he was talking about is Jesus being crucified. Chapter 2, verse 2, same thing. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the content of our message. We need, people need us to guide them. Not because we're anything. We are all zeros. You add us all together, you know what you get? Zero. But God has given us a job to guide people into the truth. And in our, in our evangelism, we cannot assume that they already know. We got to ask the questions. We got to take the time to explain the gospel so that they fully understand it. And we got to be the people, as I said, that take the bread from the Lord, the Word of God, and we give it to them, and we explain it to them so that they can understand it. Let's pray.